just wanted to have a nice, good introduction. Um, how are we? Good, good. Um, my name is Jeron. Um, if you're visiting, one of the pastors are kind of not until tomorrow here. Um, I'm glad you could join us. Um, if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you, um, talk for a bit. I hope you've been made to feel at home. Um, welcome everybody online. Glad that you're joining in. And also, shout out to our graduates this year. Um, Laney, Grant, Zane, whoever else, I'm, whoever else graduated. Um, yeah, shout out y'all. Um, we'll be in Exodus chapter four today. Exodus chapter four. This will be the second week in a five week collection of talks um, through this portion of uh, Exodus um, that we'll title down and out, down and out. This is the this is the bit of the narrative where God comes down and brings the people out. Um, so we're going to be in Exodus chapter four. We're going to read verses one to thirty one. Um, we're going to read a whole lot of scripture, um, which is good, because if I don't say anything good, you got scripture today. Um, and usually I'll walk through a story, try to bit by bit. But today what I think I'll do is there are four big theological themes that I want to pull out of this. So instead of walking through this story, I want to pull four big themes out of this after we read it together. So Exodus 4, starting in verse 1 down to verse 31. Uh, stand with us, please. One of these days I'm going to surprise you and just start reading the text. Uh, this is following Exodus chapter 3. So this is the same conversation that God was having with Moses last week. Um, then Moses answered, But behold, they won't believe me or listen to my voice. For they'll say, The Lord didn't appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And Moses said, it's a staff. And God said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. And God said, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he, uh, when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And if they won't believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, uh, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, uh, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who is it that made man's mouth? And who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, I'll be with your mouth, and I'll teach you what you shall speak. But then Moses said, God, just send somebody else. <sighs> then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You will speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. 
So Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life, the, the previous Pharaoh, they're dead. So Moses took his wife, his sons, and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Then the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart. We'll talk about that next week, but I'll, or in the next few weeks, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel's my firstborn son. Listen to that care and that intimacy. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve you. And if you refuse Pharaoh to let him go, behold, I'll kill your firstborn son. Now at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you, Moses, are a bridegroom of blood to me. So God let Moses alone. And it was then that Zipporah said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So, um, let's talk. Um, so, in the most simplest form, I, I don't want to sound reductionistic, but in Genesis, in the first few chapters of Genesis, God told Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with your, com- with your family. And the sign of that covenant is the males will be circumcised. All of them. Moses apparently forgot to circumcise his son. Um, and so what's happening here is God is showing how seriously he takes his covenant and, and that sign of circumcision. He's saying, Moses, you can be my deliverer. You can be the one that I free this nation through, but that still doesn't make you exempt from the circumcision and the covenant. God takes his stuff seriously. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Um, then the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Father, thank you for your word. We want to see you. We want to know you. Speak to us today. Yeah. Amen. You can, you can have a seat. Um, please forgive me for being two years too late in terms of relevance and for being extremely corny. But the title we're going to give on today is Stranger Things. Stranger <laughs> Things. I almost didn't do that. Um, my, my, my goal for today is I want to lead us into a time after this of praying and asking God to do stranger things. And uh, I want you to live your life praying and asking God to do stranger things. And us as a church together, I want us to continually ask God to do stranger things. Earlier, someone shared a word with us about God doing the impossible, the supernatural. That's a that's a message I think he's been giving us all week and he's been stirring it up. And, and I want to add to that. He can do stranger things. He can do the impossible. So I want to walk us into asking for it. Sound good? Um, 
so at some point last year, I started watching um, The Crown uh, about Queen Elizabeth. Um, didn't just start watching. I got pretty hooked on it. Um, and I grew this infatuation with that woman. Um, and so one of the things, well, I'm married, not that kind of infatuation. Um, I saw some of your faces. Um, I was really interested in Queen Elizabeth. Um, and so I wanted to know more about her life and more about all of that. And one of the things I learned was that the woman they're talking about on Netflix is the same one who's still alive today. So I didn't know she was that, um, advanced in years. Um, so I learned that. Um, but also one of the things I learned is that whenever she shows up to an event, a wedding, a ball, a ceremony or some sort, as she's walking in the door, there will be at least one person um, on the other side of the door. Um, and right as she's walking in the room, this person will have a trumpet and they'll play this big old loud song. I think the official title for it is fanfare. So they'll play this fanfare. And what that fanfare does is they're announcing the arrival of the queen. Um, I didn't know that in my pursuit of knowledge for the queen, that, that God would teach me a lesson about our life with him. Um, we church are those who are called to proclaim Jesus's fanfare. Um, this might be informing some of y'all. This might be a reminder to others, but Christians are called and commissioned to announce the arrival of our king on earth. Um, this is the gospel proclamation. Uh, we get the concept of gospel um, in the Christian way of it from Isaiah the prophet. And the first time Isaiah mentions the word gospel in Isaiah 40 verse 9, he says he calls out Zion and he calls out Jerusalem and Judah. And he says, proclaim the gospel, proclaim the good news. And here's what it is. Here is your God. In its most simplest form, the gospel is here is God. We can we can grammatically mess with that and say here dot 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 in this place is God. That's the gospel. We can we can flip it and reverse it. God is here. The good news is that God came down. And so I want to be really clear with this, Christ Church. Our message to the world is not become politically or socially conservative or liberal. Our message to the world is not change that behavior. Our message to the world is not, this is why our church is better than that church across town. Our message, in one word, five letters, is Jesus. Expanded, it's in Jesus, God came. In Jesus, God died on our behalf and rose again and he reigns. And he did all of that to deliver us out of sin and Satan's grip and death's grip. Our message is God came. And with that message, with that call, God has given us a birthday list, a bucket list, and a Christmas wish list with one thing at the top. And at the top of our list is to see people believe that message. This is our aim, is to see people believe the message that God came. So I just want to pause for a second because it wouldn't be honest of me as a, as a pastor, as a Christian, to address those of us in the room who might not have believed in Jesus yet and who might not have believed that message. I want to invite you to believe that. Jesus came and he died and he rose to bring you out of your broken existence and into a new life with God. If you can believe that in your heart and confess that with your mouth, I'd love to talk with you. We have people over here after church who'd love to pray with you. Believe. For the Christians, we know people who need to know God. They're living wild. They've run amok. They're living in foolishness. 
maybe God has called us to go proclaim that message to them. That's the reality that I want to speak into today is that God has called us to proclaim this message. And our goal is to see people believe this message. That's what I want to speak into. That's where we find common ground with Moses. Moses was also tasked with proclaiming this message and seeing people believe it. And so in that, I want to exhort you, and I'll tell you why in the rest of the sermon, I want to exhort you that as you're uh, uh, proclaiming this message, I want to exhort you to continually and constantly ask God to do stranger things. Um, And here's where I came to that conclusion. I saw a few pictures in this text. I think God painted some pictures through Moses' pen um, through this text. And so the first picture is I saw a picture of what God will do. I saw a picture of what God will do. So I told you, don't trip over that chapter break between Exodus 3 and 4. It's all the same conversation. And when you fly through Exodus 3 and 4, what you see is God, one, coming to Moses and commissioning him. Moses asking a whole bunch of questions. What if they don't like me? What if they don't believe me? I can't talk that good, God. Please just send somebody else. And in the midst of all of that, God responds by promising to do supernatural miracles, to give Moses supernatural speech, to do stranger things, to bring the people to belief in him and Moses' message. And then we see God do those things, and then we see the people fall on their face and come to believe in God. What that's a display of is it's a display of God not Sending Moses to do the work all on its own, all on his own, but it's a display of God sending Moses to do the work and then walking with Moses and adding his supernatural work on top of Moses's natural work. I think the first picture is a picture of God will add his supernatural work to our natural work. Um, you ever been in a gym? Um, I don't go enough. So, um, you ever been in a gym and seen someone, um, trying to bench press? And so they got a whole bunch of weight on that bar and they, they, they pull the thing up and then it comes down on them and then they're struggling. They're pushing. And it's really apparent they cannot get that bar up. And so a person from above them reaches down and then they pull that bar up and they add the, their strength and they add the strength that's needed to pull that bar up and to get it into place and to get the job done. They, they call that person a spotter. God, God is a great supernatural spotter, if you will. He's given us a job to do. We don't got what it takes to get it done. So he reaches down from heaven and adds adds his own ability, adds his own strength, adds adds his grace to what's lacking and fills the gaps to get the job done. God, God, he adds his ability to do what's needed to be done. He adds his work on top of our work. This is this is encouraging maybe to some people who live in two realities. Uh, One reality would be. I really know people who need to know Jesus. The other reality would be, I don't have what it takes to convince somebody of this message I've tried. I can't change their mind. I can't speak eloquently enough. I'm not sharp enough. I can't get through to them. And it's in that reality that God gives the good news that, hey, you're not working on your own. I'm also supernaturally working with you. I think when Jesus said, go preach the gospel, go and make disciples, that's not Jesus saying, go away from me and do it in your own power. I think it's Jesus saying, go with me as I exercise my power. He's adding his work on top of our work. 
I think this is also clarifying. Because some of us might have questions about the supernatural stuff of Christianity. Like we read in the Bible, miracles, prophecy, tongues, dead people getting up, all kinds of wild stuff. Maybe some of us have grown up in church circles where we've seen that abused, uh, wielded as power over other Christians. Maybe some of us have uh, grown up to where we've seen somebody on TV try to sell us a miracle and have ter- been turned off to that whole thing. Maybe some of us didn't grow up around that and we're just like, what is that? That's weird. Here's clarity on the supernatural. The purpose of, of God's supernatural work is to progress his purposes. It's to complete his mission. God, God does these supernatural things to bring people to believe in Jesus, to get more people, to get people more. He does this to build the church up. He, he does the supernatural to complete his work. This is clarity for us. I, um, I heard this story this week, true story, of a woman named... Um, Angela Cavallo, I believe. I might have said that wrong. This is back in the 80s. Um, she was in the kitchen one day doing something in her house, um, and she heard a knock on the door. And so she opens the door, and it's a little neighbor boy. And he says, ma'am, there's an emergency outside. So she runs outside and to see her son untrapped underneath, pinned underneath the car that he was working on because the jack had fallen over. And so really quick, she tells the neighbor boy, you go get help. She runs over to the uh, to her son, realizes something's got to be done quick. True story. So she lifts up that car. The AP says she's lifting that car four inches, at least in the air, just enough to let her son breathe until neighbors could come and pull him out. Then call the ambulance and send him to the hospital where he can recover. I thought, what on earth? Could, 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 could motivate a mother to lift a car with her own two hands. That's got to be the love that she has for her baby. And I think about these supernatural works, these signs, these demonstrations of power that God displays. What on earth could cause him to move in power that way? Friends, it's his love that he has for people. It's his care that he has for people. Do you notice in chapter 3, God called the people of Israel, my people. You notice in chapter 4, God called him my firstborn son. God God is, is showing the affection and the care that he has for these people. And he cares for them so much and wants to, them to believe in him so much that he'd do these supernatural signs to convince them and convict them. It's the, the, the work of God's hands are motivated by the love in God's heart. So if you ever feel this anxiety of like, it's on me to convince somebody. Friends, you better check yourself and get a good glimpse of God's love for those people. If you ever think if no one uh, saves them, it's my job to save them. Mm. Oh, God loves them too much to leave it all on you. You ever think, oh, I'm going to look a fool. I'm going to be left out to dry. It's, mm. God loves them way too much, friends, for this whole thing to be in your own hands, for this whole thing to be your responsibility. 
It's the love of God that motivates this stuff. It's the love of God that led to him giving his own son. And if the love of God led to him giving him his, them his own son, don't you think the love of God would motivate him to do more to bring them to belief in that son? He loves them way too much for that. So the first thing I saw is that God will add his supernatural work to our natural work. And the next two things I saw were two pictures of how God will do that. Two pictures of how God will do that. Here's the first one. Write this one down. Um, God will prove his presence with supernatural signs. God will prove his presence with supernatural signs. Uh, so in verses one through nine, you see God give Moses three signs. The first, his staff turns into a snake. The second, he can make his hand uh, become leprous and then make it not leprous. And then the third, he could take water from the Nile and make it blood. All of these were demonstrations of power that flex God's superiority over Egypt in some way. So the first one, the snake, most scholars believe it was a cobra. A cobra was symbolic of the Egyptian government. So God giving Moses this sign to make the staff into a cobra and then pick it back up into a staff is God saying, I'm more powerful than the government. Um, the second, leprosy. Um, the Egyptians, they worship and prayed to and gave offerings to plenty of gods to try to get them to heal them of physical diseases. And God having Moses do that in an instant was him saying, you think those gods can heal? I can actually heal. And the third one, the Nile, the Egyptians looked to the Nile River as a as a life source, as a life god, if you will. And God turning the the water from the Nile into blood is God saying, no, I have superiority over your Nile god, too. All of these were God showing his superiority over Egypt, but also his presence with the people of Israel. And he calls them signs because they point back to him. I don't think God gave Moses the power to do those signs separate of God so that Moses could become some Harry Potter type figure who could do magic tricks whenever he wanted, wherever he wanted, for whatever purpose he wanted. I think what how it really played out was in the moment it was God working out those signs. It, it was God demonstrating his power and his presence. God was giving evidence of himself among the people. Um, like some of you, you have kids and your kids, as soon as they walk into the house, they like to uh, throw their book bag or their socks in the middle of the living room floor. And so when you walk in the room and you see their socks or that book bag, that's your sign. That's evidence. My child's in this house. That, that's what God does with these supernatural signs, miracles, healings, all kinds of stuff like that. He's pointing back to his power and his presence. So let me give you a personal story. Um, I'll give you two today. Um, back in 2015 or so, um, someone that's close to my family who um, I really wish would um, come to believe in Jesus and believe the gospel. Um, I prayed for a long time. Father, I tried. It's not happening. Um, He hates the idea of a God. He hates the idea of a religion. He knows enough about Christianity to hate religion. I've tried. It's not going to happen. If anything's going to happen, God, you're going to have to do something that's beyond me. Um, And so in 2012, when my grandfather, my father's father died, um, he watched me and my family walk through that, um, which means he saw God give us supernatural comfort and peace and joy through all that and strength through all that. 2015 rolls around and there are some close, some deaths really close to him. 
that sent him to a dark spot. So he came to me one day and he said, man, this is killing me. I saw how y'all went through that. How'd you get through that death so well? I thought that that how is a who that got us through that. What he what he witnessed, what he was watching was God's supernatural work in our lives. God gave him a sign in our lives. Uh, the, the sign that God gave him was in my story. Um, that's what I want to encourage some of you with Christians. God's sign to them is in your story. What do I mean? Some of you, God has brought you through stuff that people don't naturally get through. And the fact that God got you through, the testimony that God got you through is his sign to them of who he is and what he can do. Some of you have made it through health issues. That's God's sign to them. Some of you have made it through cancer. That's God's sign to them. Some of you have made it through loss. That's God's sign to them. Some of you have come from families that that are uh, plagued with perpetual divorce. And the fact that you and your wife still love each other and Jesus is God's sign to them. God's sign is in your story. And when they see your story, they see God's presence and power. So, so, so some of us who haven't believed in Jesus, if you're wondering, is it all legit? My friend who's telling me about Jesus, is it real? Look at their life. Look at what he's done in their lives. Look at what he's brought them through. Look at the transformation he's brought about in their character. That's his sign. That's him saying, no, I am really here. The sign's in the story. Here's the second thing, that God will prove his presence through supernatural speech. God told Moses, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to give you words to say. Paraphrase, God's giving Moses the ability to speak for God, and he's giving Moses the message to speak for God. And then God gives Moses Aaron, who probably has a public speaking gift himself. So God gave Moses the ability to speak for God and the the message to speak for God. This is what God does for us. On one hand, he gives us the ability. Jesus told us Christians, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, which he did at at your moment of belief, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and we're going to pray for him to do it more, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll receive power and you'll be my witness. You'll receive supernatural ability to proclaim God's glory. That's on one. And then he gives you a message. He gives you a supernatural message to speak for him. First things first, let's not miss the, the, the fundamental stuff. Listen to me. The gospel is a supernatural message. Yeah. Yes. That came straight out of the mind of God. Yeah. Paul in Romans, he calls it God's gospel. God's good news. This is God's message come through us to humanity. No one could think of God becoming flesh, dying for us and rising again. Only God. So on one, the supernatural message that we have is the gospel. But another supernatural message that we have is this thing we call prophecy. Prophecy is giving someone a message from God on behalf of God. And look at how Paul talks about prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, when the community of Jesus is prophesying, when when God's people prophesy, the the unbeliever will, will come into a meeting And as God's people are prophesying, they're reading that unbeliever's mail. They're saying all kinds of personal stuff. 
And it's that Paul says that unbeliever is convicted. That unbeliever is pierced to the heart. They fall on their knees and say, surely God is among you. This is what he's trying to do in Christ church. That's what I want to pray for us to, to live into is that we be a community who's, who prophesies and the unbeliever walks in and they say, God's here. Cause that stuff y'all are saying that could only come from the mind of God. Um, here's another personal story. The day I got saved, um, September of 2009, I was 15 years old in the 10th grade. Um, so, um, it was a Sunday morning church. We came in for youth group. Um, and we sat down and the lady leading youth group, she turns the main lights off. She turns on this lamp and she says, today is about to be different. And I thought, oh no, <laughs> whatever that means. Oh no. Um, I just told myself a whole bunch of jokes that I'm not going to tell y'all. Um, cause I probably won't be an elder tomorrow if I do. <laughs> so she starts playing this music. And she preaches the gospel, just flat out, boom, preaches the gospel. And she says, some of y'all are getting saved today. And Jerron, who grew up in church, said, not I. And so as she's preaching the gospel, I start feeling this thing in my stomach. And my heart starts beating a little bit faster than it normally beats. And then I start getting kind of warm. And I think, am I the only one in here who feels a little uneasy? Is it just me? And so then I thought, it might just be my emotions. That's all that is. That's emotion. And then a few minutes later, I found myself up front, um, and she had a little baptismal. So I found myself up front in tears. She's praying for me. I'm like, this is definitely just emotion. It's the song. It's a good song. <laughs> then a few minutes later, I kid you not, I'm not making this like the standard, but it happened to me. A few minutes later, I find myself face flat on the ground, passed out. And I woke up, and I thought, hmm, must have been emotion. And so I'm on the ground and I'm like, well, I'm here. Um, so God, if this is legit, I'm going to need you to tell me what to do. Because uh, I can't just lay here all day. <laughs> and immediately our pastor's wife came from the main auditorium. She left the meeting, came into from the main auditorium ran down the hallway to the back of the building into the youth room, ran straight to me. And she said, Hey, God just wants you to be his child. I thought, okay, <laughs> maybe it's not just emotion. <laughs> uh, that was a prophetic word. Not just in that moment. She didn't know that for the past few weeks I'd been stressing. Uh, uh, um, some of you know this, uh, I didn't grow up with my father. So when I turned about 15 or so, I started to wrestle with being this big, strong man for my mother and grandmother. And I need to grow up quick and do all this. And she said, no, God just wants you to be his child. That was a message that only came from the mind of God. Those thoughts that I thought never left my mind. They never left my journal. And she spoke directly to him. That's what I'm praying happens in this church. 
that, that, that people walk in and they hear stuff from us that could only come from the mind of God. They, we, we start answering questions that they've only thought. We start praying to things that they've only written in their journal about. We start encouraging things, them about things that they've been crying about in their pillow for weeks. And then as soon as we give them that word, they fall in their face and say, surely God, Jesus is in this community. That's what I'm trying to, that's what I want to be. And so so listen, I thought this week we stress out so much about constructing the right message for people. Maybe it starts with listening. Maybe you don't got to stress out about having the perfect sermon for someone next week. Just listen. First, listen to the gospel regularly until it gets in your soul. And then you could give it to somebody when they need it. And in the moment, listen, because God might have a message for them. It starts with listening. Someone asked me a few weeks ago, man, how do you come up with all that stuff to just be able to talk for 35 minutes on Sunday? It's like, look, dude, I'm not making this up. I try not to. I hope I'm not. I hope it's five days of listening. I'm not saying I hear the word of God perfectly. I'm not saying what I'm saying is infallible. I'm just saying my my first thought isn't construct a sermon. My first thought is listen. That's what I want us to be. I'm sitting down now. The last the last picture um the last picture is a picture of who not to be. God through Moses gives us a picture of who not to be. Did you notice how Moses walked through that whole conversation? God is promising to do these great things through Moses. God burned a bush on fire without burning it up, said, I've come down to deliver the people. I'm going to do it all by myself. God make it, made a stick into a snake. God made his hand leprous and made it back. And God said, you'll turn that river into blood. That's some crazy stuff. And Moses is like, but I can't talk. That betrays a whole lot of faith, faithlessness. Moses is a prime picture of a faithless messenger. Now Moses, when he's recording this, I don't think he's propping himself up as saying, look at me, the faithless messenger, be like me, all of God's people throughout history. I think Moses is posting himself up to say, don't be like me. Don't be the faithless messenger. Um, I'm more so convinced of that because within the grand story of scripture, Moses is, is an antitype of Christ. He's an opposite of who we ought to follow. Jesus, the faithful, the faith filled messenger. Jesus came proclaiming the message of God and he was full of faith that the father would confirm that message. Jerron, prove it. The people asked Jesus, what sign do you do? What work does God do through you so that we can believe your message? And Jesus says, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, I'm going to be in the pit of the earth for three days and I'm going to get up. He, he was expectant that God would do a supernatural sign to confirm the message. And not only was he in, in expectant, he prayed for it. John chapter 12, right before Passion Week, Jesus stands up and he says, Father, glorify your name. Father, Father, demonstrate your power through me and legitimize this message. And a voice from heaven said, I've done it once and I'll do it again. That's who we are to follow. We are to follow our Jesus in being faith filled, being expectant and asking for the father to do these stranger things as we proclaim this message to bring people into belief. 
We're going to pray for it after this sermon. We're going to pray for it tonight at Kingdom Come. I hope that we continue to pray for it as a community. We constantly pray and ask God to do stranger things among us. And hear me clear, this isn't so we can have goosebumps. This isn't so our egos can be boosted. This isn't so a bunch of church people can enjoy a church meeting. No, this is because we want to see God do what only God can do so people can come to know God. We're asking him to do these stranger things. And just like Jesus, he'll do it. They did kill Jesus. They did bury Jesus. And then not too long later, the father pulled that body back up and put breath back into it. God showed up and showed them the sign of the resurrection and people believed. The same God who did that is God who's going to do all kinds of signs in our community.